Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polynet. I'm Ivana Ivanovic, and I'll be your host today. In today's episode, Luca Nania and I will talk about Israeli-Palestinian history, conflict, reconciliation, and future. Luca Nania organized initiatives to raise awareness about Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He worked for Friends of Roots. Uh, Friends of Roots is a grassroots movement of understanding, nonviolence, and transformation among Israelis and Palestinians. And he also wrote an analysis for Canvas about Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And before we start, um, it's important to say that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is one of the most controversial uh, conflicts. And Luca and I will talk about the basics of this situation. So we are open for this discussion and I hope you like it. Enjoy. Uh, I'm glad to see you after you fled Serbia <laughs> because of coronavirus. <laughs> and welcome to Polynet. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And thank you for inviting me. Always. Um, when I asked you to be my guest, I thought and talk about Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I didn't know that it's so complicated. So I hope we will explain it a little bit to our audience. And um, we can begin now. In yeah. 1984, we had Israeli-Palestinian war and Israel won. And the 1948 uh, was uprooted uh, 700,000 Palestinians from their homes, creating a refugee crisis that is still not resolved. And Palestinians call this mass ev ev eviction the Nakba. And uh, the Nakba legacy remains one of the issues in ongoing peace negotiations. So can you tell us more about Nakba and what are the uh, narratives about Nakba in, Palestinian, uh, in Palestine and in uh, the Israel? Yeah, so the Nakba was uh, the catastrophe. In Arabic means the catastrophe. And mm -hmm. uh, it was, I mean, it's still uh, perceived as the most uh, painful memory uh for the palestinians as you say uh 750,000 uh, people had to leave their homes because of the violence that was happening there and uh, basically the israelis were pushing away all the palestinians so they were going uh, in villages uh just not let's say knocking at the door and say <laughs> get out of here and people were left with without water, things like this, and they had to just leave. And they fled to uh, Syria, uh, Egypt, uh, the current West Bank, uh, or even Jordan. And uh, as you said, yeah, it, is a, it was a massive uh, uh, refugee crisis uh, uh, because, and it's still ongoing, because uh, the refugees, um of 1948 uh are still refugees like uh, and mm -hmm. even even the uh um let's say the children <laughs> that uh, became uh refugees as well they are they inherited the status of uh, uh refugee and uh, many of them still live in the refugee camps there are plenty i visited many of them when i was there and i also researched uh, one of them in uh, mm -hmm. Jerusalem. Um, so every time you speak about uh, 
I would say, justice and peace. Uh, um, everyone in Palestine uh, speaks about Nakba, and uh, for them, it's a trauma, as you can imagine. But um, it's also interesting because uh, on the other side, from the Israeli side, uh, for for them, uh, the this was not Nakba. Many of the Israelis uh, today don't know about Nakba and uh, they say it's complete rubbish. It's like uh, a legend against uh, the Israeli. And uh, I mean, they still, they really believe that. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, there is a lot of bad things, but uh, they truly believe that and they're really convinced. But for them, that was like uh, uh, a, good first step for the establishment of uh, the Israeli uh, government. Mm -hmm. Of course, they were there like uh, uh, longer. Uh, they arrived longer uh, before that day. They, uh, the, the most in, uh, important declaration for the establishment of the Israeli, uh, the Israel uh, as a national authority was uh, the Balfour Declaration 1970. And uh, in that moment, uh, uh, the um, uh, before it was a British uh, uh, British colony. Uh, in in that moment, the British uh, government uh, decided that a state without uh, being established uh, there in the Holy Land. And uh, let's say those uh, act of ethnic uh, cleansing was uh, seen as uh, okay. Now we have got our space and we are able to defend it in a sense. Is <laughs> very briefly. <laughs> Thank you. But after uh, 1948, we had uh, 1967 and uh, six day uh, war, and Israel won that war again. And uh, yeah. it's uh, and then uh, he took over uh, Western Bank and Gaza. Yeah. So my question is, uh, what was the answer of the international community then to that? So Israel won, like uh, it was a very uh, blitzkrieg, let's say. Uh, mm -hmm. It was very, very short, and uh, it took uh, it. Israel defeated first day. I mean, so first of all, they invaded uh, Egypt and then uh, uh, through an alliance of the Arab um, of the Arab countries, so Jordan, uh, Egypt, and uh, Syria, they managed to push away. Um, so they managed to defeat all those uh, all those uh, Arab uh, armies, and uh, that was very surprisingly, and uh, because uh, they basically managed to establish uh, a military, um, let's say that uh, they established their power uh, in mm -hmm. a military way over the entire region. Uh, so th there were plenty, um, in that moment, uh, there were plenty of uh, missions from multilaterals. So the UN, uh, uh, after that, established uh, an area uh, between Egypt and uh, uh, Israel and uh, then uh, um, in that moment uh, Jordan was still uh, so in 48 sorry I forgot to mention that but uh, Jordan that took over the West Bank uh, mm -hmm. after the Nakba and uh, after uh, Jordan was defeated in the Six Days War um, they merely uh, administered the West Bank whereas before it was 
in a sense, in a, a de facto uh, occupied territory. So uh, as usual, uh, the, uh, everyone had uh, the you know, different interests. So different countries with different interests. So the US, uh, as usual, supported this uh, action because uh, it was seen as a the, 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 this democratic state uh, in Middle East was perceived as uh, an incredible, uh, like, uh, it was like a way to show how the Western were uh, civilizing the, uh, those areas. So it was uh, a lot of narrative, but it was also yeah. in uh, military interest, like uh, military interest, because uh, there were uh, massive flows of. Uh, uh, of money towards uh, Middle East uh, and uh, in Israel has a long tradition of uh, trying uh, weapons and support. So, in, uh, is this is this the reason? Sorry, uh, is this the reason yeah. why U.S. support Israel today? Yeah, in a sense, uh, it's still a reason. It's a long-standing <laughs> tradition. Uh, coming uh, to uh, Europe, it's very different because, as you know, mm -hmm. European countries are always fragmented. Like in that, in the, at the time, Italy was a massive supporter of Palestinian cause. Like they were really? loving, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now uh, it's all changed, but at the time, uh, it was they were very, very supporting. Whereas uh, Germany has always been a uh, supporter of Israel because of the Holocaust, of course, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, so they were always mixed feelings. I would say. <laughs> Uh, about this, uh, about uh, the Six Days War, and uh, but yeah, then uh, they established uh, uh, with the establishment of uh, the military power. Then uh, Israel was uh, a, an, a strong entity, and uh, more and more uh, countries uh, uh, were recognizing uh, its uh, existence. Later. Yeah, you mentioned now Holocaust, and I want to talk about that yeah. later. But now yeah. um, we, we can uh, talk about Intifada. Is am I yeah. saying correct? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. uprising against uh, Israel. So yeah, first Intifada was kind of spontaneous uh, outbreak of Palestinian demonstrations, non-violent violent actions like boycotts and Palestinians refusing to work jobs in Israel but it yeah. also included uh, attacks on Israel. Uh, and Israeli military responded to the protest and attacks with uh, heavy forces. So uh, that first uh, intifada led to um, creation of Hamas. And Hamas is Islamic uh, political organization and military group that uh, governs Gaza. Uh, and we have Hamas and we have uh, Fatah. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it, Fatah is Palestinian a national liberation movement. So what are the relations between Hamas and Fatah? And can you tell us more about uh, Interfadas first and second? Yeah. Okay. So I would start with the, uh, the context. So after the Six Days War, as you can imagine, it was a massive mess over there. Like uh, there were a lot of minor groups so some uh so at the time they were already uh so Fatah and uh, I don't know uh, Arafat the main the most famous leader um were already present in the leadership they were already uh, there were plenty of uh, paramilitary groups uh in uh in West Bank 
and uh, so for instance uh, the, the parameter group that then uh, created uh, Hamas uh, the the current party Hamas was a uh, was a stop so the the party itself uh, as a politi politically group was established uh, with uh, in uh, 1987 but mm -hmm. it was already present uh, earlier in uh, in the West Bank so due to the malcontent that came from the the six days war so the fact that Palestinians were still struggling uh, with uh, not having a land, uh, facing uh, uh, structural violence, uh, settler violence, uh, institutional violence against them. Uh, they were, um, they shifted their strategies towards, uh, uh, we would say, the terrorist attack uh, strategy. So they were attacking plenty of targets in, uh, in Israel so that um, those were uh, would feel threatened by their presence. Uh, it was, a, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to comment because they were mm. really hard time, really dark times. Um, but again, uh, this led to the first intifada. This ha uh, happened after. Uh, I mean, this grew up, uh, let's say, after a single episode when the, um, an Israeli defense force uh, vehicle uh, collided with. Uh, a civilian vehicle and uh, four Palestinians died in that uh, case. And uh, due to the, all the malcontent that was coming uh, from uh, uh, from the previous uh, uh, decade, uh, Palestinians uh, decided to boycott mm -hmm. um, the Israel. They stopped uh, uh, buying uh, Israeli products uh, like uh, they let's say went to the shops and threw away everything that, were, that came from Israel or was produced by Israeli enterprise uh, businesses. <clears throat> so uh, and they uh, Israel had a really hard time in that uh, they were like uh, seeing their economics, uh, their local economics are collapsing. So in that case, the, it was very, very, a uh, really, really interesting story because uh, uh, women took over uh, the whole, let's say, supply chain, and they started to produce, uh, um, you know, products, uh, and they started to, uh, let's say, substitute everything that was uh, produced by Israel, and uh, in that way, they were still uh, making life possible for Palestinians uh, boycotting mm -hmm. and uh, okay then uh, again uh, uh, the, for the entire intifada there were like plenty of uh, episodes uh, of uh, civil disobedience that were very very effective but of course there were uh, also problems uh, and uh, different opinions uh, and uh, there were Israelis that died uh, due to terrorist attacks in that at the time but um, it's clear that the people, I mean, the, most of the people who died uh, in uh, the Intifada were Palestinians. So, so about uh, uh, 1,200 Palestinians died over this uh, period of six or seven uh, years. This led to the, I mean, the end of the first Intifada is, uh, more, is more or less uh, uh, the beginning of the Oslo Accords, the peace uh, mm -hmm. between Israel and Palestine.
I will skip this uh, and I will go to the second intifada. The second intifada was a, a consequence of the failure. So the Palestinians leadership um, at the time used to say, so Arafat used to say, well, I hold a branch of olive uh, tree of an olive tree, which symbolizes uh, peace, and mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of a machine gun, if I remember well. And uh, on the other hand, don't let the branch of the olive tree fall. Uh, in a sense, uh, okay, I have weapons. Uh, I can give you, uh, let's say, violence uh, or peace. Uh, please uh, uh, stand by me and uh, let's hold the peace together. The reality was that uh, they held the peace, but they threw away the weapons. So, so uh, the whole uh, West Bank and uh, was basically demilitarized, and uh, most of the people were not—I uh, mean, Palestinians—were uh, facing, uh, were still facing violence, but uh, but they did not have any weapons to 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 defend themselves, and. Uh, uh, the, the paramilitary group that were established over the past 20 years uh, were the one supplying uh, protections for the people. And uh, so there was, uh, in, the, uh, in the early 2000s, if, if, if I remember well, uh, there was this episode of uh, Ariel Sharon, the, the president of, uh, uh, the prime minister of uh, Israel, who visited the Temple Mount in, uh, in Jerusalem. It was absolutely, uh, against uh, any sort of uh, agreement uh, for them, because uh, according to the agreement, uh, nobody could go on the Temple Mount. So Palestinians took it personally, as we would say. And uh, <laughs> there was a massive, uh, there was a lot of, uh, so the tension erupted in an armed conflict. Uh, in that moment, it was, I mean, all the gender, uh, Sphere that was uh, that was created in the first intifada uh, was uh, basically not um, present in the second one. In the second intifada, the leadership was mostly uh, male based, uh, and the, most of the women were excluded by uh, the leadership. Uh, and indeed, it was um, way more uh, violent than the first one. Uh, let's say that the Second Intifada ended around 2005 or so with the parliament, parliamentary election, and uh, which led to another <laughs> civil uh, conflict between the so within the uh, Palestinian leadership, but it, mm -hmm. it stopped at the, the Second Intifada. Between sorry, yeah. Um, between Sorry. Hamas and Fatah, who are yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. With the elections, the uh, the Palestinian Authority basically splits into two, and uh, so the the second intifada ends with it, and uh, now it's still in this sort of uh, status quo uh, mm -hmm. where um, the leadership is deeply um, disempowered, <laughs> like and uh, Israel uh, and uh, is. Okay, let's say uh, the, in the West Bank, uh, there is still Fatah, and uh, in, uh, in the Gaza Strip, there is Hamas. Hamas has no connection with Israel, like uh, mm -hmm. they don't collaborate at all, whereas uh, Fatah and Israel are 
have a long-standing tradition of collaboration since the peace agreement. And Fatah so, is uh, recognized by international community or no? Uh, uh, international community, as usual, is never. Uh, <laughs> they never agree on anything. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Fatah is a so. Uh, it's 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 a really sad story in a sense, but yeah, the many many countries recognize the Palestinian Authority, not mm -hmm. as many as Israel, uh, but um, there are many countries recognizing uh, the Palestinian Authority. But most of those countries recognize uh, Fatah as uh, the as the party uh, mm -hmm. and the government, because uh, Hamas uh, is considered as a terrorist uh, organization. And uh, so even European yeah. countries cannot uh, recognize uh, Hamas uh, as a legitimate uh, uh, party for the government. So by law, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. I hope it was not. No, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it was great. Um, okay, I heard about um, two state solution and one state solution. So can I tell us? Can you tell us what are two state solution and one state solution? So, so the the peace agreements of 1993 and they ended up in they ended in 1995. Um, those were based on a, a two state solution. Those idea is that both. Um, uh, both uh, ethnic groups so would have uh, their own uh, um, government, their own country, their own territory, their own sovereignty. And uh, yeah, the one state solution, uh, I mean, came up as, a, as an, an idea in the leader, let's say, as an idea in the leadership uh, uh, plenty of times. Um, it's, uh, it, Okay, let, let's say that there, there is no one state solution and there is no two state solution. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, there are uh, plenty of, uh, um, I wouldn't say alternatives, but there are plenty of uh, um, different one state solution and uh, two state solutions. Many of the people, the young, uh, of the youth of, the, of Palestine who cannot stand the conflict anymore, uh, many of them, they were for the one-state solution. They were like, honestly, we don't care about this conflict anymore. We have enough. We lived our life uh, with weapons pointed at us. So we don't want to go this way. <laughs> so let's just, let just drop it. And that they have enough of the corruption of the Palestinian leadership. They have enough of the violence coming from uh, settlers uh, and the army. So they're like, honestly, we, we have enough. We just want to leave. Well, but there are other, uh, other groups that are supporting uh, um, uh, two-state solutions. Uh, like uh, I don't know. I was, when I was interning in Palestine, I was working with uh, uh, grassroots movement of uh, both Israeli settlers and Palestinians who were trying to create uh, 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 the social change to, to to live together in a peaceful way. And for them, uh, uh, the two, two state solutions were a good idea because uh, the two um, political entities were needed in order to, under, let's say, to, to speak with themselves. They needed to collaborate and so forth. But as a 
but they uh, they saw uh, the sovereignty as a very porous entity. Like uh, Israelis should be free to to go in the West Bank because there is the place where all the stories of the Bible. Uh, to mm -hmm. place so for them it's really a thing like uh, it's really something important they want to achieve but they also say we don't want palestinians to live because we just want to walk <laughs> and our, and our, uh, our ancestors live whereas palestinians and especially refugees as i was mentioning at the beginning they want to be able to go back uh, to Israel. They want to live in Israel. They want to go on the coast. They want to be able to move freely without facing uh, uh, violence. Therefore, there are, uh, there are different groups uh, uh, pushing towards uh, different uh, one-state solutions and or two-state solutions. Okay, so what is um, the Israel-Palestinian peace process? the peace process was an absolute mess <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it, so it it was very, okay i would say it's, it was really sad because uh as i said in the first intifada there were all those women uh that took uh, part of uh, all the protests uh, and uh once uh, they arrived once uh, fatah uh, uh reached uh, uh, the point that they could go uh, and meet up with uh, with uh, the Israeli uh, Prime Minister. Uh, all the women groups uh, were excluded uh, from the from the discussion of the agreement. So the peace agreement. Uh, so let's say Arafat worked uh, at you uh, with uh, a lot of uh, different countries so that this could happen, like uh, mm -hmm. Norway. Sorry, uh, worked uh, hard for 20, nearly 20 years uh, in order to, even more, I think 30 years, in order to um, reach the point, the, reach the peace agreement. So what happened was that uh, in that moment, uh, the, uh, Israel uh, withdrew from uh, a certain parts of the, uh, formally withdrew from certain parts and uh, gave uh, to the Palestinian Authority. So, so with the peace agreement, the Palestinian Authority was established, and uh, Fatah was uh, um, was given power and uh, administrative power over the over the West Bank and Gaza Strip. <clears throat> so, in that at the time was like, uh, okay, we have a leadership, we have a state, and. Uh, but there were massive problems in uh, the, the structure of the agreement uh, because uh, basically, uh, so the West Bank was divided into different areas uh, with a gradual sovereignty. There were areas, there, so the area A, that is, uh, has uh, all the, um, the power uh, in the hands of Palestinian Authority. There is the area B, where the administrative parties in the under the Palestinian Authority were read uh, the, um, the 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 security is under the Israeli uh, the, the Israeli army, and uh, Area C that is full, uh, fully under the Israeli army. So it was kind of very complicated because uh, there was no con uh, territorial continuity within the West Bank. 
and uh, so people were not really happy <laughs> with uh, how things were running. Plus, uh, so I would add uh, that Israel never really, so they, let's say that they say, uh, Israel mm, decided, okay, you can do whatever, you, uh, you, you, you have your state, you have uh, your sovereignty, you have the power to administer these areas, but we want to check what is going on constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, in the on the bureaucratic point of view, this is what happened. Israel mm -hmm. say what, um, the whole chances. So the the I mean, so the list of people living in uh, in Palestine uh, should be transparent to the Israeli authority as well. So basically, uh, Israel was maintaining a sort of uh, control over the over the Palestinian authority. And uh, never really gave up. <laughs> yeah, it's sense. similar with China and Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> different times and different uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say, but it, it, it definitely is true. Like, the, they don't really want to, to give up. They want mm. the control because the control is power. And uh, that's why the Palestinian Authority is not is not, uh, I mean, it's not a good leadership. You know? It has never had a good leadership, but uh, never really, I don't think it, they really had uh, any power to to do anything on their own. <laughs> so I think <laughs> even at the beginning, so the, the Oslo Accords were like, okay, a, a just fire between the two parts, theoretically, uh, Israel, I mean, uh, uh, Sharon at the time say, well, we are going to stop um, expanding our settlements mm -hmm. uh, in Palestine. Uh, so they signed the agreement, but at the same time, they were still expanding the, the settlements. So, <laughs> and there are, so there were uh, everyone, uh, so the, the, the peace accords basically failed. Uh, as it started to be implemented, because both leaderships uh, were not reliable at all and uh, stopped and never really collaborate in a peaceful way. They just uh, struggle with uh, much power and <laughs> uh, conflict, I would say. And how, um, how does the world feel about Israeli-Palestinian conflict, especially European Union? Yeah. Everyone has enough of it. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants to even hear about it. Because Palestine was sort of perceived uh, as the cause, like uh, this subaltern uh, fighting uh, back uh, against uh, this uh, colonial power, uh, colonial and uh, westernized power. So, in over the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, uh, Palestine was everywhere in the media. Honestly, the public mm -hmm. opinion was uh, very, very polarized uh, on this, uh, but, and uh, extremely opinionated. So now, let's say the Palestinian leadership lost any sort of uh, uh, legitimacy in the eyes of the European uh, Union, <laughs> but uh, even Arab countries, so nobody, uh, let's say the 
most of the countries don't care about Palestinians anymore. Um, it, it's too expensive, like uh, geopolitically wise, uh, it's just too expensive to go constantly against uh, a country such as Israel. And uh, you always have the risk to uh, see military uh, conflict uh, happening. Uh, and nobody really wants that anymore. So how they, uh, so the um, couple of years ago, uh, Merkel was the only uh, European leader who tried to implement any sort of conditionality on the Palestinian uh, uh, leadership. And uh, they wanted them to have an election. <laughs> like uh, the last one was in 2005. They were like, "Well, oh my God. <laughs> no, we need an election. <laughs> you That's true. Run this country in this way." So um, let's say the European, you, uh, the EU, constantly pushes the Palestinian Authority with some conditionalities, but uh, is uh, relatively blind uh, uh, when it comes to the Israeli government, mm -hmm. uh, in particular when it comes to the violation of human rights uh, uh, made by the Israeli government. Of course, Israel is not just violations of human rights, but uh, it's that as uh, the European Union constantly says that we are the, the model for the world, the moral model for the world, for democracy, human rights, yeah. protection, everything. But they keep on uh, supporting um, uh, like authoritarian uh, governments, such as uh, the Israeli one, or even yours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they keep, it, they keep it there. So the, the European Union has plenty of uh, projects, uh, policies, uh, uh, and that include Israel, especially mm. when it comes to security and uh, uh, weapons. Uh, Israel is a laboratory. Uh, mm -hmm. well, um, so Israel uses uh, uh, weapon, tested weapon uh, on Palestinians. <laughs> and uh, once they have tested in Israel, so when every weapon has a tested or technology is tested in Israel, is uh, the value of those uh, products uh, uh, double or uh, triple. And uh, once it is tested, the, the European uh, Union uh, often buys these, uh, these things. So there are constant uh, uh, bilateral agreements with Israel. For example, Frontex, which is like uh, <coughs> the, you know, the mission controlling the Mediterranean uh, uses drones uh, uh, tested by Israel. Mm -hmm. Those drones, uh, um, a couple of years ago, uh, those were implemented by the Israeli army to control the border between the Gaza Strip and, um, and Israel. And uh, there were lots of snipers. There were like, okay, let's say lots of violence. And uh, Israel were, were using those, uh, those drones. So basically the European Union is doing nothing to change the status quo uh, and cannot really do anything. Honestly, it's, uh, they try constantly try to be a mediator, but they constantly fail because the US is always the, the last word. <laughs> 
You mentioned Holocaust earlier, and when we talked about this episode, I told you that it's important to separate Israeli government and Israeli people, because Israeli-Palestinian conflict is used for spreading um, anti-Semitism. And I told you that I saw that people in Europe use anti-Semitic uh, language when talking about this conflict. So what's your comment on that? Can you tell us more what's happening with this language or and with anti-Semitism? Okay. Yeah, as I was saying, uh, so Europe has a really long-standing tradition of uh, anti-Semitism, and uh, in countries where fascist and anti-Semitism has never been addressed, such as Italy or uh, Eastern Europe, like uh, Central Europe, um, yeah, basically there are some groups that still support uh, the Palestinian cause. Uh, mm to go against uh, Israel, to, to say that Israel, uh, and let, let's say that, that Israel and the, the Jewish people are evil. And this is the main narrative of those groups. Of course, this is absolute rubbish uh, because uh, um, um, the Jewish people, I mean, are people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's really incredible to be surprised for, for many of uh, but this is not the case. Uh, um, so let's say that it's important to split the, the is what is the Israeli government does and the policy they implement, uh, implement and uh, what the Jewish people are trying to to achieve, which is a peaceful life away from uh, the European anti-Semitism and the anti-Semitism that exists uh, worldwide. Um, I would say that uh, it's a very, very complicated issue because uh, it has been some 10, maybe 20 years that um, Israel uh, uses uh, the narrative of the anti-Semitism against uh, activists for human rights defenders or peace builders. Um, to say, well, if you criticize me, Israel, uh, you're you're anti-Semitic. You don't you are against uh, the Jewish people, and uh, you don't want the Jewish people in this world. Whereas many of them are just like, uh, well, you you cannot uh, like uh, use the army and uh, protect uh, uh, and and be violent against. People. This is a violation of the human rights and the international law and whatever convention in uh, the international uh, law. You cannot do that. And uh, they say, well, you're just anti-Semitic. This is a very brief uh, way. But I've got plenty of friends, professors, researchers, and with their research, uh, they showed how uh, Israel uh, use the excessive use of uh, force against the Palestinians in plenty of times with the bombing on 2014 of Gaza Strip, where there were, you know, it was a bloodshed for the Palestinian side. And uh, those researchers were saying, well, you, uh, I mean, they were talking about what happened to, to prove uh, what was happening. And uh, they, they, they were basically banned by the Israeli 
first saying that uh, what they were saying was anti-Semitic and against the, the Jewish people, which made everything very, very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, uh, let's say, operational definition of anti-Semitism nowadays. Uh, um, and uh, it has been uh, um, approved by Israel and uh, uh, it has been uh, accepted by many countries. And the way this uh, operational definition is used uh, is uh, uh, mostly against the activists for peace building and mm-hmm. uh, against a specific group, which is the BBS, which is like boycott, divest, and sanction group. That has been uh, so far probably the most uh, effective, <laughs> in a sense, in uh, bringing up uh, um, with the with the international uh, community. What, is, uh, what were the violences of the Israeli government, the, the policies that were discriminating the Palestinians? And uh, so the idea of the BDS is boycott Israel, don't mm-hmm. buy their products, don't buy avocados that are growing up in a on uh, a land that have been stolen from Palestinians, don't buy weapons that have been used on the uh, Palestinians. Like, uh, this is a really simple mess. Anti-Semitism is real. Like, uh, um, Jewish people in uh, the US, yeah. it is a threat. Jewish people in France, in uh, in the UK, feel it is a threat. So it, it definitely is real, and it has to be tackled seriously by institutions also European institutions. Um, but again, uh, when you read anti-Semitic now, uh, you always have to have a look on the way it is used because uh, it can be very dodgy. <laughs> I agree. And what was your experience uh, while working on reconciliation between Israelis and Palestinians? Yeah, it was a very, very thought-provoking, I would say, because uh, um, so I can't. So the first experience I had that was not of reconciliation. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a group in the Southwest Bank uh, called uh, Youth Against Settlements. Uh, in that place, uh, settlers uh, were extremely violent, and uh, I felt uh, threatened uh, more than once. <laughs> uh, and uh, that was just the first time I, I went there for to do some research. Uh, whereas the, the the second experience was with settlers and Palestinians, which was a very uh, very different. So first of all, I had uh, half of my Palestinian friends unfriending me on Facebook <laughs> because I was working with uh, with Israelis and uh, Israeli settlers, which is very very dodgy uh, because settlers in a sense uh, they are mm-hmm. shallow and uh, there is this narrative in uh, in Palestine that talks about uh, normalization Palestinians uh, uh, leadership so don't want uh, Palestinians to normalize uh, their relations with Israelis because this is against the Palestinian cause. On the other hand, there are the Israelis, and uh, the, the Israelis feel that uh, everyone who's collaborating with the Palestinians is a traitor. 
mm-hmm. is a half man. <laughs> someone that is, uh, does not deserve any respect. Yeah. And, uh, so it was, uh, I was working, uh, let's say, with people that were addressing those massive uh, um, common places uh, in, of the Israeli community and the Palestinian community. They wanted to, uh, to create the social change necessarily to live uh, with and trust uh, your neighbor they wanted to uh, they want Palestinians and the Israelis to, to to talk with each other and uh, so I mean the, the, the organization was called uh, roots and uh, yeah they, they basically started to to create dialogue between uh, Israeli and Palestinians and it was very very moving because uh, the you could see Israelis that try to understand uh, their religious tradition, the family traditions, the, and they were listening to uh, all the suffering, all, all the traumas that mm-hmm. were lived by the Palestinians. And uh, they were very struggling to, 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 to take them into consideration because uh, in, in Israel, those, you could not hear these things. Because for them, Palestinians are terrorists. Palestinians are a threat. Palestinians are only people that can work but like lower class jobs, uh, and uh, but they cannot really live here. They have to go back to West Bank overnight because they might blow up anytime soon. <clears throat> and uh, so it was when I saw Israelis trying to uh, embrace this narrative, the Palestinian narrative. Uh, it was very, very touching. And uh, it was a, a very radical example of peace building. It was not, nothing, uh, it had nothing uh, uh, to do with uh, institutions, as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, when I was going to, I don't know, Israel, maybe spending the, the weekend in uh, Jerusalem uh, or uh, Tel Aviv, uh, just like to, to chill out and go away from the... The, the core <laughs> of the conflict. Uh, sometimes it was quite needed. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it was not easy to speak ab- about the fact that I was uh, working on uh, in peace building with the Palestinians. Mm. Many people were using really racist uh, arguments uh, against mm. the Palestinians. Uh, and uh, I didn't always feel safe to share uh, what I was doing there in that moment. But your job was really great. Yeah, no, it was very fun, but very, very inspiring. And uh, yeah, I hope uh, those kind of uh, initiatives will happen uh, wherever there are conflicts or post-conflict. Uh, <laughs> so that will be very, very great, I think. Would you come back and work again on this conflict with Israel and Palestine? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I would be on board, but it's impossible for me to go because Israel closed the border a long ago. Yeah, so definitely. Yeah. I really love uh, Israel. I really love Palestine. And uh, it, it just so, so human. Huh? Like you, you feel the humanity so strongly in that place it's a place where i would love to live where i would love to work
Thank you, Luca. This was a very beautiful message for the end. And thank you again um, for being my guest. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for hosting me.